Um, I'll start. I'm starting to record. So it's a little bit of a segue into this week's Torah portion. We've got some very uh, uh, exciting episodes in this week's Torah portion, and it has to do with Israel. And, you know, we're all trying to get into Israel. I just applied to be a co-leader of a birthright trip, and I'm waiting to hear. I haven't been back to Israel for three years now. Wow. And the last time I was there was with our whole family on Pesach, and it was amazing. But I haven't been, you know, for three years. Uh, and many students are waiting to go for the first time. There are many, many birthright students who weren't able to go last year. They're trying to get in this year. They're making smaller groups. And, and I'm hoping to go, you know, sometime this summer. So uh, I, I wanted to just uh, give you a little bit of a summary. I'll just give you a summary of the, of the, uh, the Torah portion so that you have an idea of what we're talking about. We um, remember not too long ago, not too long ago, we, we learned about the Jews getting the Torah at Mount Sinai, and they, they were ready to go into Israel. Uh, but there was a, uh, a decision made by the people, by the Jewish people, that they wanted to send spies to see if they could conquer the land. And there's a discussion in the Talmud about whether this was something God wanted or God didn't want. Uh, one opinion says that God did not want it to happen. And uh, another one is that, that he didn't mind, not that he, not that he didn't want it, but that he didn't mind it happening because he knew there were dangers. And we're going to talk a little bit about what some of those dangers were. Um, uh, but this, this, teaches us a lesson about free will that that God could have stopped us. He could have said, I'm not going to let anybody in, but he gives us free will. And then depending on the choices that we make, uh, then he allows the world to go in a certain direction. So he, so Moses sends these princes of the tribe and they, of the diff 12 different tribes, 12, 12 spies go into the land uh, 10 of them came back with a report that there were strong fortifications and there were giants and they said it's going to be difficult to conquer. And there were two, there were two that gave a good a positive report and said that there's no problem and we're going to be able to succeed militarily. Um, and uh, do you, any of you remember what the names of those two spies were that actually came back with a positive report? You one might was remember. Joshua, wasn't it? Right. One of them was Joshua. Do you know what the other? Do you remember what the other one's name was? John Derek. <laughs> All right, uh, Marty. Do you remember Joshua and Caleb? Caleb. Caleb was the the second one. So the two of them came back with a positive report, and as a result of this, they the Jewish people cried. They cried. Uh, and the Talmud says that, do you know what day it was that they cried? What was the date in the Jewish calendar that they cried? So God said, you're crying for no reason. 
I'm going to give you a reason to cry. One day in Jewish history, on this particular date, is going to be a day when you're going to cry for a good reason. Because you cried for no good reason, I'm going to give you a reason to cry. Do you remember? So what? Did, uh, that's the clue that I'm giving you. What's the saddest day in the Jewish calendar? Tisha B'Av. right. Have you heard of Tisha B'Av? Marty, have you heard of Tisha B'Av? Oh, yeah, of course. All right, so what happened on what happened on Tisha B'Av? I don't know what happened, but I've heard of it. Okay. Amit, what happened? Tell everybody what happened on Tisha B'Av. Well, the, the temple got destroyed twice. That's right. Twice. Both temples, the first temple and the second temple got destroyed. There were other tragedies that happened. We'll talk about it, you know, when we get close to the time. It happens right, right in the middle of the summer. Uh, and in fact, uh, in fact, uh, when is Tisha B'Av this year? Let's just let's just see, um, because I always used to think, you know, um, I always used to think that, you know, summer was a time to relax and take it easy before the holidays. But uh, Tisha B'Av this year is going to be on July 18th. 18th of July is Tisha B'Av, and the three weeks before that, starting at the end of June, is a three-week mourning period. So there's no weddings, you don't listen to music, you don't cut your hair, and on the last nine days before Tisha B'Av, you don't eat, you don't eat meat, you don't swim, you, you build up the mourning until you get to Tisha B'Av. So uh, these next couple of weeks, these next couple of weeks are you know, the time of the year where there's no Jewish holidays, nothing much going on, but you're starting to prepare for, you know, uh, what's coming up. We, we don't, we don't just take a vacation for the sake of taking a vacation. We, we take a break to prepare ourselves for what's, for what's coming up. So, um, so Tisha B'Av was the day that the spies came back, told the Jewish people about, what happened in Israel, uh, their, 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 uh, their report. And as a result, God decreed that that generation could not enter into Israel and they would wander for 40 years and they, and they all died. And then the next generation went in, except for Joshua and Caleb. And I guess his families, uh, they, now, I always had a question, I haven't seen an answer to this, is why didn't God just, you know, like the, the flood, why didn't just kill everyone, and then they could have gone into Israel immediately? Why did they have to wait for 40 years? What was the reason of that? So I don't have an answer for that. But as a result of that, we now have a book in the Torah called Bamidbar, which is all the stories of, the, of what happened in the desert, and we're going to read and talk about them over the next uh, couple of weeks. But I want to share something, you know, I could, I could... You know, we can talk about historical things that happened, uh, but what we try to do in the class is we try to take out something that's that's practical and useful, you know, for us. So, one of uh, one of the the books that I that I recommend that I've been using a lot is a book called the Book of Mitzvahs. You know, how many, do you, you know how many mitzvahs there are in the Torah. 613. 13. 613. Now, 
How many, there are three mitzvahs in this week's Torah portion. There are three, three mitzvahs. Some, some Torah portions have got a lot, some have got a little. So the one, the one mitzvah in Are this, there any that have none? There's some that have got none. A lot of them have got none, okay. especially in the beginning. But this one has got three mitzvahs. The one mitzvah is to separate challah. Um, do you know? Do you know what separating challah is? Have you ever heard of the mitzvah to separate challah? No. Yes. Okay, Mona, tell us what separating challah is. When you prepare the challah erev Shabbos, you take off a piece so that you'll have a piece for Shabbos. Now, what do you mean you take off a piece for Shabbos? Well, you can't bake on This begins on Friday, and then you separate a piece of challah for the next day. Okay, so there is, a, there is you, you're close. There is something called separating challah. There is separating challah. Um, uh, but what the, what, what the mitzvah is, what the mitzvah of separating challah is as follows. You know, at the time that the Jews, you know, were in Israel and the time that uh, for much of our history, we've been farmers. And we made our we made our living by living off the farm, uh, and our flocks and our crops. But there was one group of people that did not have any property. Those were the kohanim. Those were the the priests, and they they used to serve in the temple all day, and they didn't have uh, access to you know any income. So the Torah says that there's certain things that we have to give to our um, to the Kohanim to support them. One of them is called Chala. So what used to happen is everybody who was making bread used to get the wheat, add yeast and water, make it into dough, and they uh, before they would bake it, they would take a small piece of that dough and they would set it aside and they would give it to the Kohanim. So that they could take it and they could bake it and they could have bread for themselves. Otherwise, how would they have bread? So uh, the, in the genius of the Jewish people and, their, and over history, what we do today, because we don't have, we have koanim, but we don't have the mitzvah of giving it to a kohen because we don't have the temple. It only applies at the time of the temple. So, but, but there is a mitzvah to still take off a piece of the dough and set it aside. And what we do is we burn it. We burn it because we're not allowed to eat it. It doesn't belong to us. And that piece is called challah. The piece we don't eat is called challah. But the Jewish people, what we did was we called, we called the mitzvah. I mean, not called the mitzvah. We called the bread that we eat. We called it challah, right? Lou, when you made, when you go to the bakery, you say, can I have two chalas, please? Right? That's what you're asking. You go, right, Mona, when you go sure. to the bakery, if you're not baking bread, you'll say, can I have one challah, one whole wheat challah, one with sesame seeds? That's not accurate because challah is the word used for the dough that you take away and you burn or you give to the coin at the time of the temple. But because you don't have a temple, the Jewish people call the bread challah, so we'll always remember the temple.
That's the idea. Mm. But but uh, the Sefer Achinuch, the Book of Mitzvah, says that what was the purpose of this mitzvah besides the fact that yeah. this was to help the, the Kohanim, but God wanted to give us a mitzvah. Everybody eats bread. We It's a staple food. Most people eat it every day. So God wanted to give us mitzvahs. That's why he gave us 613 mitzvahs. It wasn't to burden us and to make us feel like we have, you know, um, so many jobs to do that it overwhelms us. The, the, the right perspective is that the reason why we have mitzvahs is because God loves us so much. He wants to give us opportunities to become better people. And, and this is one of them. And we do it so often because we eat bread. In those days, everybody would bake their own bread. Um, my wife actually, made, when she makes color, when she makes color for Shabbos, she makes enough because you don't, you don't have to do it if it's a small amount. But if she makes a, I don't know, a certain number of pounds of color, she separates, she separates a part of it and she burns it off. So the, the idea for us is that, um, and I'll, I'll just read it in the words of, of the Sevrachinuch, that the dough serves as both nourishment for the body and nourishment for the soul. So God gave us the opportunity of doing a mitzvah with the food that we eat. That's one of the reasons we make Kiddush. And one of the reasons we make brachas on food is because we're trying to nourish our souls as well as nourishing our bodies. But I want to tell you another fascinating, another fascinating thing is, remember, the Jews were told that they were not going to go into Israel for the, that generation. So they might have become depressed. They might have felt that they're never going to go to Israel. So God says, I'm going to give you a mitzvah. I'm going to teach you the mitzvah challah, which you can only do in Israel. And that gave them hope. That's, you know, that's always something the Jewish people have is hope. Even when we have wars in Gaza and we have terrorism, we always have hope that there's going to be peace one day. That's, that's something that's built into, into the Jewish people. And it comes from uh, an example like this, where God said, I'm going to give you a mitzvah while you're in the desert, why is he giving it to us now when it's going to be 40 years before we come into, into Israel? Because he wanted us to always have hope. Um, now, there's one other mitzvah. Actually, there's two other mitzvahs. Um, and it's really very interesting why it's, it's uh, put in this particular Torah portion. And I'm going to go for like another five minutes, and then I'm going to open up for questions. So remember, the... The spies go into Israel to look for uh, to see the land of to see the land and see how good it is. And the word used, the word used to spy or to go on a reconnaissance mission, is in Hebrew uh, latur or lasur to tour to to go and and spy the land. At the end of this week's parsha, we have a mitzvah of tzitzis. Now, you all know the mitzvah of tzitzis. Lou, show Marty your tzitzis that you're wearing. Hey, it's a little <laughs> personal. <laughs> you have a, do you have a pair of tzitzis? Uh, I have a, I have a talus right here. Oh, there <laughs> you go. Okay, a talus has got tassels on. Yes. Mona, does Mark have tzitzis? 
you know, sad. And Marty, how about you? Marty, I have a house at home. So you yeah. want to tell us at home. So, you know, I didn't even, when I was growing up, I didn't know about tzitzis. I never saw anybody wearing tzitzis. You know what tzitzis are, right? You've seen people wearing them. So this comes at the end of this week's Torah portion. And we read about it every day. When you say the Shema, there's actually three paragraphs. Did you know that? It's not just one paragraph. There's three paragraphs. The third paragraph Vyohat. is all about tzitzis. Isn't it the Vyohatta? Right. Vahafti is the first one. Okay. And then there's Vahaya Im Shamoa that you should uh, observe the mitzvahs. And then this week's Torah portion about tzitzis, where it says um, that if you have a four-cornered garment, you have to put tzitzis on them. So tzitzis officially refers to the tassels, the, the threads that we put on. And uh, if I show you, you know what, let me, uh, uh, let me show you my tzitzis. So, right, these are my tzitzis, right? These, these are the actual tzitzis. Now, as you know, they are on a four-cornered garment. Where, and the Torah says that you only have to put it on a four-cornered garment, which means that your shirt that you're wearing right now, Marty, would you, is it a four-cornered garment or not? I would say this is not. It's not because it's got a, it's like a, it's curved, yeah. It's like yeah. curves. It's not a, it's not four corners. So officially you are not doing anything wrong. And Lou, you're not doing anything wrong by not wearing tzitzis. If you don't have a four-cornered garment, you don't wear four-cornered garments today. So you don't have to wear tzitzis. But it's a mitzvah to wear and that's why people buy special garments that have got four corners on so that they then have a mitzvah to put on the tzitzis and i i remember when i went to when i went to yeshiva in israel i was not wearing tzitzis i was keeping shabbos i was starting to keep kosher i was not wearing tzitzis because i think i went in the summer and Israel's summers are quite hot and you, one of the laws is you cannot put tzitzis onto your skin directly. You're not supposed not supposed to. So you have to wear an undershirt, then tzitzis, and then your shirt. So there I am. I'm wearing a t-shirt, and then I'm deciding that instead of wearing a t-shirt, I'm not going to wear three layers. Now I happen to wear uh, like um, cotton tzitzis. My children, and I'm sure. You know, Shire and Hebels wear woolen tzitzis. And wool is pretty warm. So in the summertime, wearing tzitzis can be, uh, can be pretty warm. But it's one of those mitzvahs where it doesn't really cost you anything. You don't have to do anything. You just put it on. And you can get, you can earn millions of dollars in the world to come for doing nothing by just putting it on every day. Now, my children, I can't remember which one, one of my boys, when he was old enough, he said to me, Abba, where are your tzitzis? You just learned about the mitzvah, and he said, where are your tzitzis? Now, at that time, I used to do something what's called wearing my tzitzis in. I would tuck them inside my, inside my, um, my pants, and I wouldn't show them. 
You know, I was still wearing them, but nobody could see them. My son thought that I didn't have them on. So from that day onwards, I started wearing them out. Why did you I, wear them in? Beg your pardon? Why did you wear them in? Well, you know, uh, I, I don't remember exactly why then, but maybe I was a little self-conscious. You know, you're walking around the streets with uh, these tassels sticking out of your pants. You know, that that's pretty... Um, uh, recognizable, you know, oh, and sure. as Jews, as you know, just over the last couple of weeks, the Jews that have been attacked in the streets have been Jews that are recognizable as Jews. That's a, that's a fair answer. I, I accept that answer. You know, but for my child, I wanted him, I didn't want, he was too young to understand about politics and anti-Semitism and, and being sensitive to living in an environment that's not all Jewish. He just right. wanted to know where my tzitzis were. So I started wearing my tzitzis out. Now, there's one thing you'll notice about my tzitzis is that they are white, right? Now, one of the world's experts on uh, tzitzis is uh, Mona's grandson, Shia, who's my son-in-law. At least I think he's one of the world experts. He did a lot of study into this mitzvah because there is something in the Torah portion of our tzitzis that says that you have to wear what's called techeles or techeles. You have to, one of the strings on each of the uh, corners has to be blue. color blue. And it comes from a special animal that we don't know exactly what it is. Um, there are opinions that it's a certain kind of a snail uh, or some say it's a certain kind of a fish. And there are some people, there are people today who wear um, a blue thread in their tzitzis because they go by that opinion that it comes from the snail that, uh, that we know what it is and that's what they use. They use that dye. But most people only wear white tzitzis. Um, do you have blue in yours or not? I do not have blue in mine because my rabbis didn't wear it. And like my son, my other son says, you know, when his rabbi starts wearing it, then he'll start wearing it when he, and, it, and, you know, one day when we find out exactly what it is, you know, this is one of the things that we've lost over time. We've lost the exact identification of, of what the, uh, the animal was that, that we got this dye from now. Um, there's also something very interesting about tzitzis that besides the straight um, the threads, there's, uh, there's also some knots. There are five knots. Can you see the five knots over here? I don't know if you can see them. When you, uh, when you go to, Mona, when you go over to the Koifmans, you can uh, go check it out. There are five knots on each corner and eight threads, eight strings on each on each corner. Now, yeah, something very interesting. Do you know, you know about what's called gematria, the numerical value of some of the letters? So tzitzis, how do you spell tzitzis? You spell tzitzis tzadi yud, tzadi yud. And if you add that up, and then there's a tough at the end. Now, so let me just show it to you. So 
So there, that's tzitzis, right? Can you see the word tzitzis? So if the numerical value of tzitzis is, I'm going to show you. All right, so tzitzis is, tzadi is 90, yud is 10, tzadi is 90, yud is 10, and the tough is 400. So what's 90 plus 10 plus 90 plus 10 plus 400? Six hundred. Six hundred. All right. How many knots are there? There's five. And how many threads are there? Eight. There's, there's eight. What is six hundred plus five plus eight? Six thirteen. Six hundred and thirteen. Now, where, where have we heard that number before? Six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs. So what is the connection? Let me ask you this question. What is the connection between tzitzis and 613 mitzvahs, all the mitzvahs in the Torah? What's the connection? And why do we have to wear a blue string? What does the blue represent? All right. Have you ever heard this question before, Marty? Lou, you never heard this. You know what? Yeah. The, the reason I love teaching you guys is because there's so much that you do know, but there's also so much that you don't know <laughs> that, that, I, that there's always something to teach you. But I, I'm going to have to come up with something next year because you're going to know this next year. And I hope, at least I hope you're going to remember it. So the answer is that why do we wear tetsis? Because the Torah says... Um, the Torah says, this is the second mitzvah in this week's Torah portion, and it's a very scary mitzvah. Uh, and it says, um, I'll tell you what it says. Um, a mitzvah is the law Taturu, lo sasuru acharei levavchem, v'acharei einechem ater asher atem zonim acharem. Lo taturu. Remember, I said to you the word for the spies to spy was latur. So we have at the end of the Torah portion that exact same word. Lo taturu. Do not spy after your hearts and after your eyes. So what does that mean? What does it mean spying with, with your eyes and your heart? So the, the Sefer Chinook says we are commanded not to explore untoward thoughts that might enter our mind or untoward sights that our eyes might see. Um, so even though a thought comes into your mind, but you're not allowed, you're not supposed to dwell on it. You're not, if you look at something you're not supposed to look at, you're not supposed to continue looking, you're supposed to look away. That's the mitzvah that uh, the Torah says. Um, because uh, the meaning of this mitzvah, he says, is we are forbidden from focusing our minds on contemplating views that run counter to the principles on which the Torah is based, as it is possible to arrive at heresy through such contemplation. Rather, if an urge enters one heart, one's heart to contemplate one's evil thoughts, so I cut his short, short his thoughts on these matters. 
and switch to pondering the true and good ways of the Torah. Um, so, um, so he says that the mitzvah of tzitzis protects us from this. The mitzvah of tzitzis protects us from our eyes and our thoughts wandering to things that we shouldn't be thinking or seeing. So how does that work exactly? So the Talmud explains that what happens is when you're wearing your tzitzis, when you're wearing your tzitzis and you see the blue, then that reminds you of the sea, right? The blue sea. And then when you look at the sea, you think of the sky. And when you think of the sky, you think of Hashem because Hashem's in the sky. So what's the, the idea is, the idea is that let's just say somebody is about to walk in. I'm not saying that anybody would do such a thing, but let's say somebody's about to walk into McDonald's to buy a cheeseburger, for example, and he's wearing his tzitzis. So as he's about to buy the, the, the hamburger, the cheeseburger, he looks down to get his wallet and he sees his tzitzis and he sees the blue and he thinks of the sea and he thinks of the sky and he thinks of Hashem and he says, oh, you know, maybe I'll have second thoughts. Maybe I won't go to McDonald's or let's say somebody is on. Or he'll get a hamburger instead of a cheeseburger. That's right. You'll get a hamburger instead of a cheeseburger. <laughs> or you'll get a Coke or a salad, right? Just so uh, not, you know, no one in particular. Buy, but buy a Coke at uh, McDonald's, Rabbi? That is a fantastic question. You know what? We're going to take questions in one minute. I'm going to answer that question. <laughs> okay. Marty, that is a great, great question. So, so the idea is that that's why we wear our tenses. Is it supposed to remind us? And sure, the truth her. is... The truth is that if you're wearing a pair of tzitzis, it's unlikely that you're going to walk into McDonald's, right? I would probably agree with him. And the, that's, by the way, that's, by the way, one of the reasons we wear a yarmulke. But there's no way, there's no mitzvah. Did you know this, Marty? There is no mitzvah to wear a yarmulke. I would agree with you. Yeah, I knew There's that. no, so why do we wear yarmulkes then? It's a symbol and it's a reminder and it's all that stuff. Very good. You know where the word yamaka comes from? Um, I don't know. Have you? You're learning so much fascinating stuff over here. The word yamaka comes from the word yara malka, which means fear of the king. Yara malka means fear of the king. So it's the same idea. When you have a yamaka on, it reminds you that there's somebody above you that's watching over you, protecting you and you know, helping you and all that kind of thing, but also watching you in case you do something you shouldn't be doing. So it's unlikely that somebody is going to walk into a house <coughs> of ill repute. We'll call, we'll just use that term. If he's wearing a yarmulke and tzitzis. And in fact, the Talmud in, describes a case of a, I think it was a rabbi who was tempted to go visit a, house of ill repute and he was wearing his tzitzis and as he was climbing up the ladder to get to this woman the tzitzis flew into his eyes and he suddenly remembered and he looked down and he saw the blue and he saw the thought of the sky and saw the Hashem and he decided that's it and he said the tzitzis saved my life so um, I would uh, say that 
besides the fact that you're earning millions of dollars in the world to come every second you're wearing tzitzis, um, it's also like an insurance policy. And it doesn't really cost that much. I think I think Eichlers have got a sale right now. They've got 25% off their tzitzis. So if, uh, <laughs> if any of you are interested, you can buy a pair of tzitzis. Um, and it will... So that's the idea behind... The connection between the 613 mitzvahs is that it helps you, it protects you, makes you think of the Torah and all and all the different mitzvahs. Um, I have another question. All right, so are we, we are now going to go on to the we're now going to go on to the question part of the. So wait, do you want me to answer the first question, Marty, or you got to let's? Well, I don't want to forget this question. Yeah. So what's so your is question? It, is it against Jewish law for a guy to go into a? a place of ill repute is it well what do you think no that's <laughs> <laughs> for sure so uh there is a there is a mitzvah in the torah to be holy okay there's a mitzvah well, to I mean, be holy I, I guess there would be a difference between a married man and an unmarried man it might well be but the I'll tell you something fascinating. Um, the, the Torah says you should be holy. So Ramban, the Ramban Nachmanides, he says, what does that mean? That means, yeah, exactly. What does it mean to be holy? You know, it's easy to say, holy, use the word. He says, uh, don't overindulge. For example, in, if you are eating at a restaurant even if it's a kosher restaurant or you're having a Shabbos dinner, don't overeat. Don't eat like a glutton. And there's no mitzvah against it. There's no way that it says that you have to, um, that you have to eat a certain amount and no more. But the Torah is saying that you have to read between the lines and you're supposed to respect your body and you're supposed to act like a mensch. One of the things is don't overeat. But one of the things that the Ramban says is also, even if you're married, not to overdo being with your wife all the time. Even though it's kosher to do it, you're not supposed to do it too often because then you become, you know, that's not a holy thing to do. Now, if that's talking about two people that are married, then I think we can extrapolate that, you know, for a married man to go to, a house of ill repute is not a holy thing to do. And I would say that it's probably not such a holy thing for someone who's not married to do. Now, is he going to, is it going to be counted that he didn't, that he transgressed one of the mitzvahs? I'm not sure, but I don't think he's going to score any points for doing something like that. You know, um, what's interesting is that the word for a woman of ill repute in Hebrew, one of the words is Kadesha, which means the holy one. Or it comes from the word holy. What is that? Why is that? What's holy about a woman like that? The answer is nothing holy about it. The word Kadesh doesn't mean holy. I translated it as holy, but it's not really holy. What it means is to separate oneself. So you elevate yourself. You elevate your eating. You elevate all the things that you do. You're speaking that way. So a woman of ill repute has separated herself. That's not a. That's not the the right thing for her to do. And she's separated herself. From the community so to speak so marty that's a great great question and um 
unfortunately, you know, there might be some people who are religious who don't necessarily abide by this. And that's often why I say to people, don't, I don't like using the word religious because you can have someone who's wearing tzitzis and wearing a yarmulke and keeping kosher and doing all these things, but he's not acting not necessarily. He's not acting in a holy way. Um, and yet you could have someone, not, not that you, you know, you're supposed to do this, but there could be someone who doesn't keep Shabbos, doesn't keep kosher, very faithful to his wife, you know, and doesn't overeat and treats people respectfully. Um, uh, so it's really a matter of <clears throat> trying to do as many mitzvahs as we can, because that's what Hashem wants. Hashem wants to give us reward for, for doing the mitzvahs. Um, the answer to your second question, uh, your what second was that question again, see, I'm old, your, I forget what your second question was, which is, was actually my first question, which was your first question. Um, see, we should have written it down. Man, I just said, I was just about to answer it. Lou, can you remember? Was that about Yamaka? Wasn't about a yamaka. Wasn't about tzitzis. No, he asked if he could go into McDonald's. Oh, oh right. Can you go into McDonald's and get a Coke? So, what do you think, Marty? Are you allowed? Am I allowed to go into McDonald's to get a Coke? Are you allowed to go into McDonald's to get a Coke? What well, do you think? I know the. I know those might not necessarily be the same answer. Now, why a, not? Why? Uh, why would you say they're different? I don't know. What do you think, think Lou? What do you I think? think? I think it's I think perfectly acceptable. What, say it again? I think that's acceptable. You can get a Coke from, from McDonald's. Mona, what do you say? I say no, because um, if you're dressed in a yarmulke and scissors and you go into McDonald's, other people will view you as uh, giving... Um, acceptance to eating there. They don't know what you're going to order, but you're dressed like a religious person and they see you going in. And that means that uh, you probably say it's okay to eat there. That is a fantastic answer. Well done. But that's, a very, that, that's a very, very good answer. Now, but uh, I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm sure, why don't you agree, Marty? Well, I mean, you know, you do what you have to do, and, you know, it's nobody else's business what you do as long as you're comfortable with what you're doing. Uh-huh. So I, so I think this, is, this could be a discussion that, you know, this is the kind of discussion I would have down in Champagne with our students. Is it okay to just do what you want to do because you feel comfortable, even if other people might be influenced you know badly by it you know um let, we'll try to think of a couple of other examples in a moment but I'll, let's just get back to the mcdonald's one because i don't want to uh i want to finish the answer so let me ask mona this question what happens if you're driving down the road you need to go to the bathroom and there's no place to go there's no there's no gas station there's only a mcdonald's with a get with a bathroom are you allowed to go into McDonald's and use the bathroom? Yes. <laughs> um, since we've been in the car for over a week, yes. I would say that 
I mean, you could always maybe try to. Um, you went to Wendy's. <laughs> not appear in your religious garb. Ah. Go in and use the bathroom and come out. Excellent. So you could put your baseball cap on. Right. And walk in and say, can I use the bathroom? Very good. Okay. So um, there is a concept in Jewish law called Maris Ayan. Maris Ayan means giving someone the impression that you're doing something wrong. Now, Marty, I would, and Mona, there's, there's really two things going on over here. When you walk into McDonald's and you order a, a Coke, right? There's two things that are happening. It's not only that people might say, oh, you know what? Maybe this is a kosher McDonald's, you know, and I can order, you know, he's probably ordering a fish sandwich or maybe he's ordering, you know, a salad and a milkshake or something and milk is kosher so I can, I can have a milkshake here. That's the one thing. But the other thing is that maybe someone's going to say, oh, look at this religious person. He looks, he, he, uh, pretends that he's religious and he goes to eat at McDonald's. So it's not that you are influencing other people, but you are getting people to think badly about you by seeing that you're in McDonald's. What if no. he's the Moschia? What if he's the... <laughs> I don't think McDonald's has much. Right. Well, there, there happens to be a kosher McDonald's in in Israel. Yes. Um, and you do get you do get some, you know, kosher. Now it happens to be, by the way, that Coke is kosher. Coke is kosher. So if let's say you were really, really thirsty and you couldn't find water anywhere and you really needed something to drink, and the only place you could go to was McDonald's. It could be under certain circumstances, you could go in and buy a Coke uh, and walk out, maybe not sit down or maybe put on your baseball bat, and tuck your tits in and go get a Coke or go use the bathroom. But what about, for example, what about, for example, let's say you've got a business meeting, very important business meeting with a delegation from Japan. And you're closing a multi-million dollar deal. Are you allowed to go sit in a non-kosher restaurant and not order anything? Just sit there. And they eating, are you allowed to sit there or do you have to say to them, you know what, we can't get out to eat. Uh, there's no kosher restaurants in town. So, you know, deals off or we have to do it somewhere. We have to do it in the office. You know, they might turn around and say, you know, uh, this is my favorite Japanese restaurant and this is where I want to meet. And they, uh, this is where I eat every lunch and this is where we're doing the deal. Are you allowed to go do that? So yeah. this opens up a whole body of Jewish law and um, it has lots of ramifications. There's many other examples of, of what's called Maris Iron. Um, and, it, and it might be even influencing uh, people who are religious people, not people who are going to go eat at McDonald's. They, for example, you are not, let's say, for example, you, um, uh, it starts raining and your tzitzis gets wet, and you want to hang it out, the sun comes out, on, and let's say it shows. Are you allowed to take your tzitzis and go put it on the clothesline outside to dry out? So the answer is no, because people might look at that and say, oh, you're allowed to do laundry on Shabbos, and you're not. So it doesn't just apply 
to a case like McDonald's, it can apply to, you know, people who are religious. They just don't know necessarily all the laws of Shabbos. But I have, I've had this discussion uh, because people will ask me, they're starting to become religious. Their parents, you know, are going out to a restaurant and they want to know, can they go and sit at the restaurant? Parents can eat whatever they want to eat and they'll drink a Coke or they'll drink a glass of water. They're allowed to do that. Or because of Morris Iron, do, are, they, uh, do they, are, they not allowed to, are they not allowed to do that? Um, so I think what, what uh, the rabbis say now and this is, I think this has changed, is that so many people today know that there are things called kosher restaurants. And there's so, most Jews know that religious Jews eat only kosher food. So nobody is going to suspect you if you walk into a McDonald's and order a Coke that you're going to order a cheeseburger as well, or a salad or a, or a malt shake. No one's going to suspect you of that. No one's going to suspect someone who's wearing a yamulka when he's sitting down with his parents at a non-kosher restaurant that he's going to order food. So in that case, you would be able to. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but according to Jewish law today, it might be okay to order a, a Coke from McDonald's um, and even sit down and drink it, you know, uh, with a yamulka on. I wouldn't suggest you do it, but it might, in, in today's world, uh, that might be that might be the Jewish law, but Marty, as usual, that's a very very good question. Um, now, any other questions before we call it today? And I go outside, and enjoy this beautiful Chicago weather outside. What, what, what's the Jewish view on gambling? Oh, fantastic! All right, so don't ask a question if you don't want don't want to hear the answer. <laughs> Um, that, that's also Marty. It's a long, long question. It's a okay. long. It's a. What I mean, it's not. It's a long answer. I tell you what we'll do. Time. We'll leave it. We'll leave it for next week. We'll, we'll get the DePaul guys on. And uh, now, okay. do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you all a link. I want you to watch. There were, you know, this program that I've been doing about clean speech. Yeah. About speaking better together. So, uh, you know, Brady. In fact, you know what I'll do? How's this? I'm going to share. He went out to dinner with us. I'm going to share my screen with you again, and um, and I'm going to play a uh, I'm going to play a clip for you. Um, that was on CBS News, local CBS News yesterday. Um. Let me see if I can find it, and then I'm going to share it with you. Uh, all right, give me one, give me one second. Here we go. Okay, um, let me. I'm going to share my screen. Um, 
Okay, here we go. Um, Inside the stories others won't tell. The Morning Insiders. Couldn't we all be a little bit nicer? What if we told you it only takes one minute a day? Morning Insider Lauren Victory tells us about a new challenge. Rabbi Zevkon believes our beautiful neighborhoods could be even nicer, not through a physical transformation, but a spoken one. It's not about, you know, dirty language or foul language. It's harmful and hurtful language. And that can include embarrassing someone, saying something negative about someone. The Clean Speech Challenge began in Colorado in 2019, but its concept is thousands of years old. Being respectful when you speak is a core Jewish teaching within the Torah. Many people don't realize that they think it's just laws about the Sabbath or what foods you can eat. Clean Speech Illinois successfully completed a pilot program in March. If you share your unkind opinion with your coworkers, it will change their perspective. University of Illinois students like Brina Schusterman created short lessons, then shared them to social media. Basically, there's a different theme for each day, and it goes on for an entire month. Day four, learn to argue. From respectfully disagreeing to keeping quiet sometimes. By listening to someone, we show that we care about them and what they're saying is important. Speaking positively. 30 days of reflection can improve chats going in the wrong direction. Just change the subject on your own. D- detour the conversation. Graduating senior Michal Demarski still uses what she learned to flip the script on negativity. I've caught myself, you know, even studying for finals just now. I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm so tired of this. I'm not going to get the grade I, I want. Rabbi Khan wants to bring his free positive thinking campaign to Chicago at campuses like DePaul University. Yeah. One One minute a day. He's recruiting volunteers for a November challenge with friends. Good practice for Thanksgiving with family. More Victory, CBS 2 News. For more stories like this one, download our CBS Chicago app. All right, what did you think? You're a celebrity. Did you see your autograph? (laughs) Did you see did you see Brady there, Molly? All right. um, anyway, so we uh, we were on the news yesterday and we're gonna bring this to Chicago in November was very exciting. Um, so uh, I can see it's almost four o'clock. Let me stop the recording. So I'm going to wish you all a good Shabbos. Okay. And, good 